0: Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and nutrition professor of about 15 years, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder.
2: And hey, this is Phil Stevens. I'm a powerlifter, Highland Games athlete, coach, uh, run Strength Guild and JCSF, bunch of other stuff. I'm on my way to an, yet another Special Olympics powerlifting meet.
1: Sweet, nice. Uh, this is Dr. Mike T. Nelson. I'm owner of Extreme Human Performance. I teach for Globe University, and I'm headed to Mexico on Monday.
0: Wow. What's in yeah. Mexico?
1: Uh, actually, a business mastermind. So. Oh. Hmm. oh. Yeah. Should be pretty fun. Sweet. I think they have worse places to go. <laughs> <laughs> you hit it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully not. Some weird <laughs> mosquito viruses my parents just told me uh, about yeah. yesterday. I'm like, oh, that's great. <laughs>
0: All right, let's start with we're going to do some news as usual and we're going to get Phil covered here first just in case we drop him since he's on the road. Strength and Muscle Sport News. Uh Phil's got a big announcement. We've touched on it very briefly, but maybe you can fill us in, Phil.
2: Yeah, basically so it's going to come out here a little early cuz we're actually officially announcing Monday. But basically this has been in the works for well a long time, but in the really hard works for about 8 months. Um getting the infrastructure all set up and everything like that. But we are announcing through Strength Guild, which is my gym, uh, the barbell open. So basically what it is is, you know, I sat down with a bunch of people I know, um, you know, including Jim Wendler, Shane Hammond, stuff like that, and we're talking. And uh, we're looking at the CrossFit Games and, you know, the format they have, format they have of you, know, you got an open meet, and then regionals, and then uh, you know it, it all comes to a head at the CrossFit Games. And like, why has no one done this with powerlifting and Olympic weightlifting? And we couldn't figure out why no one had done it. So basically, I took the reins of this thing along with a few other people, and, uh, and we built it. You know, if it's one of those "if you build it, they will come" type of things. So as of Monday, I'll put out the the video. We have put a bunch of teasers out there, but we will be having a Pretty much worldwide powerlifting and Olympic lifting meet that will last five weeks um, where anybody can sign up. The open portion of the meet is all video submission. So basically you have a week to put up your best squat, and then that will be followed by a week to put up your best bench, followed by a week to put up your best deadlift, and then the Olympic lifting portion comes um, with a snatch and then clean and jerk. From there, you will go onto a leaderboard. Um, the top 10 from each weight class, then go to a regionals, um, top 10 in each region, then go to an actual regionals where, okay, now you have to compete in front of judges. Um, So the open portion is just basically to get you, you know, you can see where you stack up in the world and then to to hopefully get you qualified to go to a regional meet. And then from there, people qualify for the world meet um, where then you're talking cash prizes. So, Wow! Yeah, and that is what we have Very been cool. going. So, um, yeah, and I mean, we sat back and thought about it. It's like, ugh. the number one thing that came to mind was we'll get a lot of backlash due to the fact that you know you can't control the open portion totally. Um, I'm sure we're going to get a whole bunch of well, it doesn't even count. They didn't do the lifts in front of judges, um, things like that. And honestly. You know, the, what we came up with is it doesn't really matter <laughs> because it's just a qualification process.
1: Right. Um, right. There's stuff to do it, so.
2: Yeah, if you lie, like, let's say some guy <laughs> puts on, you know, puts up an 800-pound squat and frickin' four plates on each side are actually styrofoam. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's going to show itself when he comes to the frickin' regionals and, you know, he's supposed to be an 800-pound squatter and now he's squatting 405.
0: Right, he yeah. embarrassed embarrass so, himself.
2: So, you know, yeah, he's just going to embarrass himself and it, it won't matter anyways because... You know, the open portion is just, like I said, a, a qualification to now go to an actual meet um, and and go from there. So, yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of what we're working on. And now it's it's at that point where it's built. We kept it really hush-hush due to the fact that we couldn't figure out why no one else had done this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it was like we need to keep it really quiet so nobody else does do this until until we're at a point where basically it's too hard to catch up.
1: Right,
2: right, right, yeah. No, it's where we're at which is it's built, you know.
0: So, Phil, so, so let me ask you some logistics. Uh, when you say it's built, uh, there's a website that people would upload a video. Is that the idea?
2: Yep, the website's built. You Basically, you go in, um, you'll log in, put in your username, password, pay your $20. Um, it will then email you a registration number, and you use that registration number each week when you go back and – like, let's say, okay, it's squat week. You need to go in. You have a week to film your best squat. You have to load that up on YouTube and then put a link. it'll You log in, put your profile number in, and it gives you a place to put your squat link. You load that up and the weight um, so we can then watch your video. Uh, and then you'll do that each week, and, and then you'll get a total at the end.
0: Um, And so it's a it's a complete meet, right? It can't be a single lift that people can enter.
2: No no single lift. I mean, if you want to, like the leaderboard's broken down to where, just like in CrossFit Games or CrossFit Open, you can see who leads week one. You know, so you can see who won squat only. So I mean, it is it is friendly to like your bench only people or deadlift only or whatever. You can see where you stack up in one lift, but. To move on, yes, it's just total
0: for money. Yeah,
2: yes, there's yeah. no there's no partial meats. It's all just, it's full meat only mm-hmm. as far as moving forward. Well, I know uh,
0: this is nitty gritty, but uh, does it have to be like some kind of high res uh, video, or is there a format issue or anything like that? Because I, I can almost see people sending some really messy, blurry, distant stuff. You know that
2: you well, couldn't. We have in the rules. You'll go on. So on the website's barbellopen dot com. Um, And basically we go through, that's one of the things we had to take time to lay out was exactly how these things need to be filmed, Okay. Um, what angles, blah, 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 blah. Um, Yeah, basically if you put up a crappy video and we can't see anything, well, it's going to get turned down. (laughs) Yeah, gotcha. (laughs) um, You know, we tell you the angles where the camera needs to be placed. Basically you have to, like, let's say I'm squatting. What I need to do is I need to weigh myself. I need to film that. I need to then state what's on the bar. Then I need to show that on camera and then we show the actual lift all in one unedited clip so um, so that's all there but- Right.
0: this is big time I think this is going to be like sifting that's for awesome. gold you know because how many people out there could be in garage gyms or local gyms and they're freaking beasts and you know this might yeah. just to get them out of their holes a little bit
2: exactly and now you can just do it from home and that's it I don't know how many times I've heard it and seen it on you know, the Iron Radio Facebook page and stuff. Well, I'd love to do a meet, but I just, I don't know where to start. I don't want to go to a meet, this and that. You don't have an excuse now. You need a friggin' camera and a friend and do it in your garage. You know? Right, yeah. So, the well, phones have
1: feet. cameras on them now, so you don't even have that excuse.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. True. So, and then, you know, you automatically load it up to frigging YouTube and, and roll with it. So, uh, yeah, so, I mean, it's been, it's been fun building it. And now we're at that spot where it's either going to be a... It's either going to be a huge flop or something huge. So, <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, the initial response will be very interesting to see.
2: Yeah, it's just the hurry up and wait portion. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I hopefully a lot of people take part in it. And you know, everything from from here on out, how big and how robust it is is based on the open participation. You know, if we get a huge open participation, now we have the capital to run huge regionals. With you know, you know, the the end goal would be you know, where it's almost expo type things, you know, yeah, because you start crunching numbers and if you're talking open and masters, which we have, um, and 10 people from each weight class, uh, you're t- <laughs> and then That's male, the female, you know, male, female, open masters, uh, 10 from each weight class, a couple hundred lifters, you know, per region, mm-hmm. but then go to a large regionals. And uh, and then from that region, it's going to be every every top lifter from regionals gets an invite to worlds, or, you know, so the end the end deal. And right. then they go head to head against each other. Um, everything's going to be based on uh, formula. So weightlifting, it's the Sinclair formula. Uh, powerlifting, the Wilkes formula. Um, of course, there'll be some kind of award because I don't want to leave somebody out if. Basically, the overall big winner is based on the formula. But uh, If you win, like, so you're in the number one 242 or in the freaking world, well, you know, you're going to win something, too. Um, but the, the big cash cash out goes to whoever does the best via coefficient. So. Right.
0: Now, would there be support for flights if you're one of these really top-tier guys, or they have to travel themselves, or how does that work?
2: That's on you. That's on you. Basically, you know, we uh, decided not to reinvent the wheel, so we took – a a system that's in place that's already successful, which is CrossFit Games, and just copied what they're doing. And, yeah, basically, no. I mean, you get zero support. You just got to – basically, you get a qualification, and then you get to show up, and you get a chance to win money. But, uh, you know, that's also why we have – you know, hopefully it's a little friendly by going regional. You know, at least you don't have to –
0: If you're in New York,
2: you don't have to travel all the way out to frickin' California.
0: Oh, yeah, you could drive or even, yeah.
2: You know, right. so you know basically we're having East Coast, West Coast, and Midwest as far as regions. We're only doing one Canadian region, just because it's Canada. Uh, but we want. <laughs> <oil>. <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> no. uh.
2: And so basically, we were going, we were going, we were starting to break down more and more regions, and we're like, man, this is yeah, year that's one.
1: Yeah. that's right. So you know, simple, simple.
2: We have to remember this is year one. Let it grow you know, as needed. So most people come in and they fail on things because they try and think too big too fast. And I'd rather, I'd rather keep it manageable in year one. And if it blows up, man, we can always add year two, you know, and and find the infrastructure for that. But I have somebody I trust up in Canada. They're centrally located, so you know we're doing that. And
0: uh, And it's good. I mean, let's let's face it; they just don't have the population density. If you if you want people to be able to drive. Somewhere, you know, it's just a little hard to do that the first first year, anyway. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So.
0: Well, hey, what about what about marketing? Because it sounds like you really need to get the word out. I mean, Iron Radio is just a mid sized podcast. I think some of our listeners know we have like twenty five or thirty thousand per month. That's not a week; that's a month. And you know, we're a pretty niche market, so I'm okay with that. I mean, when you look at us in, on the what's hot category on iTunes, you know, we're usually in the top 20 of that what's hot. But on the actual ranking, you know, we're always going to be blown away by like fat burning man <laughs> and podcasts like yeah. that that are more gen pop. But yeah. Um, so, yeah.
2: So how are you going to do the marketing? Basically, it's all via it's social media and okay. word of the mouth, basically, you know, and that's where I had to connect up and talk to the right people at the right times. So, mm-hmm. um, like from day one, I've talked to Jim Windler. And, you know, he's behind it and ready to help push it out there. Um, just here in the last month or so, I got Shane Hammond on board um, and lifters like that. And then also people that I know that have just gigantic social media followings. Um, and just it's going to be basically like we you'll see in the video. It's it's growing from grassroots and it's like the whole uh, of the lifters, for the lifters, by the lifters type thing. And let's just put it out there. And uh, right on. so basically JP Price is going to help put it out there. Um. Basically, you'll see a huge social media push next week. You know, from all these people. So sweet, and that's kind of how we have to let it grow. I mean, we have <laughs> as of now the business has negative money. You know, <laughs> right? Basically, it, it's it's grown from itself, and now it's like, oh well. I hope we get a few people to sign up. You know, so mm-hmm. so uh, would you yeah, guys be?
0: Difficult. Would you be the judges? I mean, at the higher levels, are you going to get Wendler and yourself and some, some of the, the big names to,
2: to be the judges? Well, yeah. I mean, that's what it's going to come down to is you know <laughs> bringing all these people in. And, and it's going to be me in this hurry up and, and rush thing, especially in year one, because we really don't know. We don't know how yeah, big or small. To, yeah. You know, it might be freaking gigantic. And then it's I'm on basically the open portion will take place August 1st. Startups start Monday or sign up, start Monday. Oh, wow. It will take this August. Um, basically we've planned it. So we do not compete with CrossFit games at all. Yeah. Um, our, you know, ours will start right when the CrossFit games ends and then our regionals will be in the middle. And then our world championship will be right before the CrossFit. <laughs> begins again. So it'll be totally off season of that. Basically we each share six months of the year and, uh, go from there because we didn't want to compete with that. We want those people to be in, involved as well because you're seeing a lot of them now make a push towards traditional strength sports um, yeah, yeah. via yeah. Olympic power, stuff like that.
0: Well, you know, maybe uh, in a similar vein, uh, you'll eventually have enough uh, attention to get some sponsorships and that sort of thing as well. Well, you
2: know? uh, exactly. And that's the thing. I mean, what we'd love to do is turn these regionals into, like I said, m- more of an expo type thing. Um, you know, if, if all of a sudden we're like, oh, crap, you know, we just had two hundred thousand people sign up for this thing,
0: <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> you
2: know now. We have, now we have marketing power, you know, and we can get you know people behind it, and then we can start throwing these huge regionals. And I mean, that's that's the greatest thing we could hope for right there. And then it's going to be a matter of you know me and the people involved getting the right people in place to help us throw these huge events. Um, yeah, and and going for sponsorship and things like that. So, and
0: you know. It, one thing that might build on itself, and I'm sure you've thought about this, but if you're using the, you know, social media channels to market it, um, those would also be ways that are sort of built in to cover the bigger meets. You know, like yeah. if, if yes. you make an expo type thing, you know, you can have a lot of the big podcast or, or video cast YouTube channels there because you're kind of using them from the get go, you know.
2: Yeah exactly and it's yeah i don't know i mean the other thing that we agreed on from the start and this was you know a large part into do with with talking to jim was you know we're trying to strip the lifts down to back down to their bare minimum uh, and just not be nitpicky like you're seeing so much now and it's like especially at the open level it's just come out squat the bar stand up <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, the rules stripped to the bare minimum, like on the bench, if the bar comes down, touches you, stops, and then goes to lockout, you win. You know, good job. Yeah. You know, you're seeing it get so nitpicky now that, we're, you know, we're trying to bring this back and just get everybody involved again. Um, and things can get a little more, of course, you know, picky at the, the world level. Of course, when we're talking, okay, now we have we have six people in each division vying for money you know money okay, we got to get right it's trick yeah. <laughs> yeah so um it's hard to state how much we'll give at this point because we don't know right but uh, so yeah
0: i imagine there's always going to be the you know bad seeds fussing about you know <laughs> this there's politics because you know there's a little bit of subjectivity involved with this it's like in that sense it's sort of like bodybuilding and that it's it's more visual you know because it's Submitted online and all that sort of thing with video and all yeah. that. But, but at the same time, you're right. I mean, I think people need to go into that thinking, listen, I'm going to have to crush this. I, it can't be some gray area lift and I'm going to expect that to get some white lights, yeah. you know?
2: Yes. So, well, and I mean, honestly, if you look at it now, you're seeing more in powerlifting, at least, you're seeing lifts turned down not at the meet, but after the fact via video. You know, yeah. it's easier to take the time. You can slow it down. You can actually see what's going on. Um, so, I mean, I could make an argument that, you know, basically our judging will be better. We don't have just a split second in time there where we can view this thing and we get one shot at it. True. You know, if something's yeah. close, I can slow that thing down and look and be like, nah, that's not good. You know? Yeah, frame by frame. So, yeah. Yeah. we got, you know, basically we have built in instant replay. So. That a, that a regular powerlifting meet doesn't have. And Good I mean, point. But I mean, at the same time, that's a that's one of the the great parts about you know any lifting sport is that you know you're you've got one shot at this, and you've got to convince these judges that are sitting in front of you. And yeah, well, we have that part too. Once you qualify for regionals, <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. At that point, you're you're actually sitting in front of three judges and and having to show what you can do. So
0: so is uh, what's the web address, or can you say that yet, or how's this going to
2: work? Yeah, I'll go ahead and say it because it'll just basically our and radio people will know about 12 hours before everybody else. So, yeah. um, barbellopen.com, B-A-R-B-E-L-L, open.com. Okay, so, sweet. it'll be the web address. You can go in there. You can p- pick weightlifting or powerlifting, sign up. If you're crazy, you can sign up for both. Um, <laughs> so, and compete in both of them, um, which I think we'll probably have some people do that. Um, we had talked about doing a super total, and again, it came down to let's keep it simple. That's something we can add, you know, right. Build if on there's it. There's interest. We That's can, smart. Okay. Year two. Now we got super total, you know, exactly. I so, uh, mean, we'll go from there, but yeah, see? it should be fun. I mean, it's at that point where you're, you're starting to get nervous and anticipate what's going to happen. And, you know, I'm just hoping we don't see like, Oh, we're a month in and four, <laughs> four people have signed up.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> so, but I think with the push we got and I, I mean, Everybody I've talked to is really excited about it. So,
1: um,
2: you know, Hate Brand Goods, which is Matt Vincent. He's totally behind it, too, and all his his lifters. Um, like I said, Shane Hammond is like, oh, man, this is amazing. I don't know how it's going to – it's going to be huge. And uh, so everybody I've talked to is really excited about it.
0: Yeah, I'm personally so loving so the expo. Kind of back out there. The expo part of all that is just very cool <laughs> because instead of just an expo, which are neat, it, it's almost like yeah. uh, you could have multiple Arnold Classic type events. I mean, it's more focused than that because, you know, the Arnold weekend is all over the place. But I like the performance, like the built-in competition that kind of goes with seminars and booths and all kinds of stuff. I mean, you yeah. could really – this could be really big for the powerlifting community in general, I think.
2: Yeah, and I, I mean it. It's, it's it's a way that that unifies the whole world basically that this isn't happening right now. Yep. You know, and you're not under some crazy ass federation that, you know, has all these nitpick rules. We just state everything blatantly right up front, and we're just rolling with it. You know, it's like lift here or don't. You know, yep. and here's the very simple rules for you bend your knees, sit your ass down until your hip crosses the knee, and go up. <laughs> Good lift.
1: <laughs> right. So, yeah.
2: So Ooh. If you don't do that, Bad lift. You know? Yeah.
1: So. No good oh, stuff. Yes, yeah. yeah. especially at the local yeah. level. I think sometimes, and I understand my organizations have to be consistent with rules and everything like that. I, I get it, but I think sometimes, especially at a local level, for you know, a lifter who's not necessarily going to win or advance, they become so yeah. hyper rigid that it scares people away. I mean, years ago, I remember going to yeah. a local meet, and I just wanted to compete. I, had, you know, I'm not going to win or anything like that, and I didn't care. And I had the wrong type of underwear, so I had to go back home and get a different pair of <laughs> wow. underwear. You know, just a lift. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. And you know, I exactly. I think I was going to say ultimately, I think uh, w- when you guys are judging these things, I think in some local events, you know, you could people could fuss about politics or inexperienced judges or but you know, if you got like Phil and JP and Jim Wendler, and, you know, you guys are judging this stuff, I, it's I would think that's going to squash um fussing a little bit you know you're like listen yeah. you know we got some really experienced guys here who really know what they're doing so you know buck up you or know, shut up
2: just yeah and it's honestly it's just <laughs> like we said we got to get lifting back to lifters and it'll be neat to see it come out of the garage you know and it's like i don't know, even even at the open level it's like just put on a shirt and some shorts and do it man you know let me yeah. see your squat you know that's you know And then, of course, from there, we'll move on to the singlet and everything else. But like I said, that's just after you get past that first portion. It'll just it'll also be neat. I mean, for the first timer and let's say we have 100,000 people sign up and some guy's never done this. And he signs up. Look, dude, I took, you know, I'm three hundred and I'm thirty third thousand two two hundred thousand. Now I got something to shoot for for next year. You know, you can literally see where stack up.
0: It lowers the barrier to entry, you know. Which is, yeah.
2: which is good, too, so, yeah, and you don't have to feel like a i mean a lot of people they're worried, oh, I don't think I'm strong enough, well, now the only person watching is you, so <laughs> <laughs> right, in yeah. person, so, see what you can do, and now you have something on the board to get better from, so okay, yeah, that's
0: it, all right, well, I'll tell you what, um everyone, if. If Phil can stick around, great. He can make some comments or not. But if he doesn't, you know why, because he's on the road for the Special Olympics thing. So, uh, uh, I have a, a handful of news things. I, I actually had a ton this week, but I boiled it down to three, and here they are. This first one comes from the American Chemical Society. They posted another video on uh, labmanager.com. It's just one of my news-fetching sources here. Uh, and it's called, what is a complete breakfast? It's the most important meal of the day, or is it? And I, that caught my eye because I think there's a lot of people in fitness and there's even some science to suggest that maybe some people shouldn't be eating breakfast. I mean, if you're in the middle of a fast or, you know, you want to extend a fast, I don't know, maybe there's something to not doing it, right? I mean, I know Dr. Nelson's looked into intermittent fasting a lot, but um, so here's what they say. Uh, they say scientifically a complete breakfast is something with carbs and protein in it. Essentially, they consider that complete, uh, a couple other tidbits. This is just a little three minute video and I'll post it on our Facebook page. Like I always do, but, uh, they say hangry is a real thing. It's a thing. Uh, and they were talking about how, when you eat carbs and protein, you get some dopamine release and, you know, that's a feel good neurotransmitter and, and you're not quite as grouchy. They were saying, of course, you don't want to, uh, choose carbohydrates that are going to spike your blood sugar like they were saying watch chugging large amounts of orange juice and that kind of thing and you know then your insulin spikes with your blood sugar and then it all crashes mid-morning you know that kind of stuff now the truth is for weight gain i kind of like that <laughs> actually get somebody hungry again 90 minutes later but uh, you know they're so they're using using the usual spiel whole fruits Whole grains, uh, vegetables, that kind of thing. And then they touched on the issue of eggs. Are eggs good or not? They even show a clip of an article in this video that tries to um, parallel eggs with cigarettes. And I'm like, come exactly. on, you guys. <laughs> so anyway, they say good news. Eggs are good. Good for you. Uh, loaded with B vitamins, vitamin D, obviously a very high quality protein source. Um, something they said that I don't agree with as much is they said the milk pitch for breakfast is weak, uh, and that you can get calcium from nuts and grains. Uh, I'm, I'm not, yeah, that's right. Right. I'm not in agreement with that. You'd have to eat buckets of a lot of different non-dairy items to try to get that three or 400, 450 milligrams of calcium you'd get from a cup of milk or yogurt. I think if anything, milk, like, I have to be careful with milk because it's so insulinogenic. Uh, I think I really, it gives me food coma. If I would have a big bowl of cereal in the morning with milk, um, you know, I'm middle-aged guy, to though. So when I was young, I could do it, but now I can't. So I think, I think there's anything with milk. It's great for weight gain and that sort of stuff. I don't know if I'd be chugging milk uh, necessarily if my goal was weight loss. There's a lot of stuff in the media about milk and calcium and weight loss, but I think you got to be careful chugging lots of milk from that perspective, but... They say the pitch for milk at breakfast is weak, and I just find that interesting because the American Mm -hmm. Chemical Society, you know those, that's serious business. That's the real deal, and they're kind of poo-pooing milk. I thought that was interesting. And then finally, they they mention fats, and they just basically say that mono and saturates like olive oil are good. You know, you might want to have some of that in moderation at breakfast. So, anyway, some comments on what makes a breakfast complete. I don't know, Mike. Do you have any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, it seems like it's very, I think like you mentioned at the beginning, it's very arbitrary and it depends upon, you know, your goals and, you know, what foods you react to and things of that nature. You know, if you're trying to do some type of intermittent fasting, then, you know, skipping breakfast is probably a good idea. You know, most clients I have, if I look at their thing and find that they are skipping breakfast routinely and then they complain that they're hungry later, then I do the reverse and have them, you know, eat breakfast, especially more protein. So, you know, like all things, it depends on the context too. Exactly,
0: yeah. Phil, what are you eating for breakfast? Are you with us?
2: I'm here, man. What am I eating for breakfast? All I've had is coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping they have something in here at the concession stand. It'll probably be like a hot dog or something. Oh, awesome. <laughs> but... Complete. <laughs> It'll be a hot dog or some kind of poor cookie. I don't know. what right. they give me in here. But...
0: Well, that's discipline for you, man. I mean, you know, the food doesn't sound disciplined, but the fact that you have to eat that for breakfast because you're being there for other people, you know. (laughs) Okay. Um, This next one was from the Institute of Food Technologists, their wellness newsletter. I really recommend this for people. They send about, uh, I think it's once a month, a big list of all the news that's going down. And this is one that says, Expert Insight, the protein trend, hip, cool, and complex. Usually when I see expert, I cringe, right? Because uh, (laughs) Phil, you know this, and Mike, you know this in academics for sure. When somebody starts boasting they're an expert, they're not, (laughs) they're they're probably not. If someone else calls you an expert, you kind of humbly sit there and and take it, but you don't title something like this. Anyway, uh, it says there has been a focus and an interest in high protein diets for years. And this little blurb, which again, is just one of many in this IFT wellness newsletter, they say that uh, the predecessor of high-protein diets was the Atkins diet. I'm not sure about it. I don't think I agree with that already, but I understand that Atkins was very popular. It had huge brand recognition, but I always thought of Atkins more of a low-carb rather than a high-protein yeah. um, diet. But it says that in 2012, paleo became the center of attention with the high-protein diets. Um, they, the, uh, the expert here, her name is Susie Badarocco. Who's uh, the president of Culinary Tides? Uh, I have I'm not familiar with it, but she says there's basically two sides to the high protein trend: meat and meat less. So she goes on about how there's lots of meat and protein kinds of snacks coming around, and it's true. There are lots of jerky, and you can find protein chips and and stuff like that, and. Man, bodybuilders, I could tell you, uh, even a decade ago would have killed for some of that kind of stuff, you know, like a snack you can just munch on. Uh, but anyway, they say the consumption of meat snacks increased 18 percent since 2010. twenty four percent of people look for protein on nutrition labels, and fifty percent think it's the best the best protein source is animal. I, I would agree with them. The other category here is vegetables. So she say, she says vegetables go pro. Uh, During the recession, apparently, there was more interest in vegetable sources of protein because of their cheapness. Um, She says vegetables are acting as a competitor to meat in the protein category just as animal protein is moving laterally into snacks, so too is vegetable protein starting to show up in chips and and bars and things like that. So then there's some data here about packaged facts. It says 37% of consumers in the 25 to 39-year-old group seek out plant proteins. Now that's funny because I would not do that. I would, yeah. so unless kind of they were, yeah, unless they were bolstered with extra amino acids or something, boosted to make them more complete. Um, it says, let's see, 22% of adults aged 25 and younger are seeking those plant proteins. So it says, in addition, 47% of consumers aged 39 and younger agree that the lower cost of vegetarian protein is a factor. And I can go with that, right? I mean, if there's a reason to do that. Um, But I think the work from Stu Phillips group and Nick Bird, a lot of those guys have really not shined a very positive light on stuff like peanuts, soy, you know, the usual go-to plant proteins. So uh, one thing she does say, and I will go with her on this because I really don't know. It makes sense though. Uh, When a trend has internal competing factions as is apparent in the high protein trend, again with the animal versus plant, it actually prolongs the lifespan
1: of you know the marketing trend. So it's controversy cells, right? And you can have the people saying plants are the best and you have the meat people saying meat's the best and they argue back and forth and then probably just keeps both of them going for quite a while. Makes sense. Yep.
0: Keeps the conversation alive. I would ask Phil if he seeks out plant proteins, but I think we know the
2: the answer to that. Hot dog. Do not discriminate against my protein sources.
0: (laughs) That's right. Uh, I've got one one last one, and this is also – it's Iron Radio news, actually, before we go to break here. Um, men's Fitness, why does my pre-workout give me a headache? So it says you pop a pre-workout supplement to score perks during your sweat session. But what's up with those occasional headaches, the itchiness, and the GI distress? And they were saying that studies do show that pre-workout supplements, stimulants, tend to be safe in the short term – and they do indeed add perks to your performance. I'd agree with that. I mean, Mike, you and I have both done work with energy drinks mm-hmm. and yep. and coffee and stuff. So they tapped this this goofball associate professor uh, of exercise science and nutrition, and he's a co-host of Iron Radio. How about Always. that? So anyway, I, I rarely do interviews like this anymore. But uh, I wanted – you know, sometimes an editor will get you on their sort of little um, – content matter expert list or whatever. But, uh, I, I wanted to touch on this for a few things because I think there's so much junk in a lot of pre-workouts, you know? So we talked a little bit in this article about vasodilators and how, you know, it's possible if something has a large amount of arginine or other vasodilators, you could get enough NO to have headaches and that sort of thing. Certainly. I think they put niacin and beta alanine in these things for a cheap tingle, you know, and that kind of stuff. But, uh, I asked them when I did this. I said, "Could you hot link Iron Radio?" So they did. Oh, and nice. So yeah, maybe we'll get a little a little push into people who haven't checked us out before because you know, Men's Fitness is is going to be um, far more Gen Pop, I think, than most of us are. You know, so anyway, yeah, so that,
1: fun, fun stuff. That's very cool, and I can attest to the fact that if you have a real vasodilator, you will get a crushing headache because one of the studies we did when I was at the University of Minnesota was. We're looking at flow-mediated dilation, so how well your vessels will expand. And for the chemical control, so we would put a cuff around your forearm, we use ultrasound to look at the vessel, and then they compared it to a chemical control. So they wanted a chemical that would dilate your vessels. So they gave us, I was one of the volunteers in the group, uh, nitroglycerin, right, which people oh. think that take for angina because it dilates the vessels in your heart if you're Big having time. an issue. Yep. And it dilates all all your vessels for the most part and they put it under my tongue and I'm laying down on the bed and I remember thinking after a few minutes I'm like oh my god if I had to stand up right now I would be a puddle on the floor and then right (laughs) after that the world's worst just crushing headache (laughs) right (laughs) yeah and luckily it goes away pretty fast it's a pretty fast acting drug but uh yeah, I wouldn't be lifting under those conditions, so
0: <laughs> Yeah. I there's a local physician here, he's a very senior guy, he's an expert in concussions, um uh, oh, at, yeah. at Akron Children's Hospital and yeah, he sees repeatedly young people coming in with pounding headaches and wondering what the hell's going on and he usually gives them the whole vasodilator you know, educational message, you know, so yeah, well, no erectile dysfunction for Mike Nelson then, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I knew Phil. I heard Phil laugh. I'm like, I know where he's going with that.
1: <laughs> yeah. One of the uh, colleagues when I was there actually did one of the very first studies on Viagra as potentially a sports enhancement via blood flow and that type of thing. So yeah, Phil, I wasn't in that study.
0: <laughs> Phil, don't you have a couple of lifters that are on Cialis or something?
2: Yeah, that's big now from what I hear. Yeah, uh, for exercise. Do that. found out. There's a study on it that basically Viagra, the problem with it is, yeah, it does. uh, Basically, it just causes dilation in your eyes and then, you know, where it's supposed to. Right. Um, Cialis, they found it it does it in skeletal muscle tissue.
0: Interesting. Interesting.
2: um, Yeah. Big across the, uh, uh, you know, the the bodybuilding community and stuff like that for, for that. And they're starting to use it for heart patients, too. So
1: they were all initially developed was the big drug companies were trying to find ways of dilating the vessels in the heart. And the Viagra trials, they found, hmm, there's some interesting side effects here. <laughs> right. Switch their marketing.
0: <laughs> I think at first glance, a lot of... Um a lot of lay folks who aren't used to you know stuff like differences in adrenoceptors and stuff they may think oh my god how does one drug you vasodilate in one part of your body and not another and it's just that different tissues have different receptors to these drugs and you know they're gonna respond a little bit differently but it is wild though how how, how pharmacy works like that you know so. okay uh, we're gonna go to break when we come back we are going to talk about things we can't explain. I've got a couple of physiological things here and I, I know Dr. Nelson has thought about some of these before too. Uh, if Phil can stick around on the phone, uh, anything that he sees in the gym, I mean, anything, marketing, physiology, nutrition, sometimes I think it's healthy to actually admit, wow, I can't explain this. You know, Maybe there's not science on it or maybe, who knows? So we'll be back in just a bit. You can just Google that, and uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single-digit royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob. I just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, You can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, It's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So –
1: Hey, we're back here on Iron Radio with uh, myself and Dr. Lonnie Lowry and Coach Phil Stevens. And we're discussing now some things that we may not be able to explain. I think always in science, I have a whole list of stuff I've wondered that I tried you know, sort of anecdotally and things like that. And then you go look for research either to prove it or to ideally disprove it. And a lot of times you can't find anything. So you're left with, well... I don't know. You know, there's no studies that have looked at it a lot of times. So it's, should be an interesting discussion.
0: Right. Hey, Phil, if you're still with us, because again, everyone, yeah. Phil is on the road by phone here. Um, do you want to chime in first or you want to go last with things you can't explain?
1: Let me go last. Okay. <laughs> He's got to think of some. Yeah. I'm putting him on the spot. Yep.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, let me start with a couple of things uh, from the lab. Uh, There's been there's two things actually a couple that I've bumped into firsthand uh, when I'm looking at stuff. One of them, and I Mike and I have talked about this before, but uh, is high dose caffeine increases glycogen storage. This blows my mind, right? Most people realize caffeine mobilizes. You know, it's going to increase. Uh, what's called a secondary messenger in your muscles, you know, cyclic AMP. It's a general signal to break things down, not to store things. So usually you'd think glycogenolysis or glycolysis or lipolysis, right? And and of course, anytime you hear uh, lysis like that or olysis, you're thinking about breakdown. So it makes sense, right? Caffeine before a workout, fight or flight situation. But if you up the caffeine dose enough, you get kind of the reverse and it helps carbohydrate storage in your muscles, like really high doses, doses higher than I would take. Uh, Mike, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, it was funny that I I first saw that study actually after I finished my uh, oral exams. So you go through and you submit all this paperwork and they go throw you in a room and they quiz the crap out of you and see if you pass or not. And I literally was up the whole night before that. And that was one of the papers I wanted to read. And so I left that whole process, hadn't slept, went to Chipotle, and I'm sitting there reading about caffeine. And I go, oh, my God, I th- I think I have a problem because this is <laughs> like all I spend my <laughs> life doing. Um, but it was fascinating. So if I remember right, I think it was from Paul Greenhoff's lab. So extremely well-known right. lab. And I keep looking for more and more follow-up literature in that area. And I haven't seen any. And it's one of those things where it's, from mechanistic side, it's it's fascinating, but on a practical side, it's freaking horrible, right? I mean, who wants to take? <laughs> I think they used about four or five hundred milligrams of caffeine after training.
0: I think it may have even been higher, but you're right after yeah, it was
1: super high dose. Yeah, and it was after training because you're trying to promote you know increased glycogen, and then you wonder, well, maybe that works if you've got a repeat bout, you know, later in the day, that type of thing. But outside of that, I'm like, huh, and then I. I don't know if anyone's unveiled what the mechanism of how it does that. It just seems so contrary, as you were stating.
0: Right. I'm almost sure I've seen more than one paper uh, at least suggesting that. But I I could be wrong. I'd have to go back and look. But, right, how absolutely bizarre. So it's a kind of thing, like, in a real-world setting. You know, I love to bounce this stuff, like, off of Phil because who's really going to do that? You know, you have a wicked-ass squat workout partly fueled by an energy drink, and then, you know, as you head home from the gym, you pop two or three Viverin. What? <laughs> I don't know. Bizarre.
2: The only place I could see it coming in handy is at a meet. You know, right. Basically, you'd be jacked up all day. So, you know, you finish your squat. You take some more freaking caffeine, a bunch of sugar, get ready for bench. Do the same thing after bench. Get ready for dead. <laughs> Just keep doing it.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, go home. You'd be frazzled that night, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, strung so, out. And that reminds me of the studies they were doing, I think, a couple of years ago now, I believe, on soccer players, giving them melatonin before a soccer practice or game. And they showed, hey, this is a pretty cool antioxidant. And I'm thinking, hmm, from a mechanistic standpoint, that's kind of interesting from, again, a practical standpoint. Who comes up with this stuff? Yeah. Let's yeah. go give you something that's going to screw with your circadian rhythm and then uh, you know, go do your sport. <laughs> right. Looking at this stuff in a vacuum like that, you're right, and not looking at what
0: happens tonight or over the course of a few days in a real world. Right. You know, it's just a mess. Um, yeah, because I we were talking about that the other day for a growth hormone release too. And I think it probably does help with some of these things on some level. Whether it's not that's going to lead to muscle mass over time. But like you said, it's like the opposite almost of that caffeine thing. Why would you take a stimulant after workout? Why would you take something that's a sleep aid before you work out? Yeah. I don't know. Absolutely bizarre. Bizarre. Um, here's another one. Uh, and I was just talking about this uh, with a friend and colleague of mine, Ron. Uh, but creatine kinase as a tissue damage marker. Uh, if people aren't familiar, if you go to the hospital and they see lots of CK, uh, creatine kinase in your blood, now there's different isoforms of this and I don't want to get into gory details, but if they see a lot of this enzyme spilling into your blood, it's a marker of tissue damage. So depending on your signs and symptoms, they may think it's a heart attack. They may think it's liver damage. I mean, there's lots of things, but when you work out, of course, this stuff spills out of sore skeletal muscle. Uh, What I find very interesting is that Despite warnings throughout my undergrad and grad years that you have to be careful that it's not like a scale, like more creatine kinase automatically means more muscle damage, I was always taught it's more like a light switch: is, is elevated CK or there's not. And yet, in the literature, there's this tendency to look at it like a scale: the more CK, the more damage. Um, but that's only the beginning of it. Uh, when you feed people uh, protein, like I actually published, it was just a little abstract about this, but people on high protein diets, they tend to dump more creatine kinase after doing negatives, right? After doing uh, eccentric contractions. And that didn't make a lot of sense to me because obviously protein is considered a recovery aid. Uh, and you can find some data. It's spotty, but you can find that with uh, fish oils, vitamin D, a lot of things that we consider helpful for recovery on some level, Uh, in fact, there's different ways to measure recovery. So, uh, we were doing, um, a vitamin E related study just recently, and I'm going to present some of these data next month at ISSN, but, um, a lot of the markers of recovery were enhanced, uh, but CK, it looks like maybe it went up. And again, we're still analyzing this. But mm. um, And I always thought that was odd. And like I said, you can find some data suggesting this with vitamin E, vitamin D, fish oils, CLA. I saw it in my dissertation with conjugated linoleic acid. They had lower inflammatory markers, less pain, less interleukin-6, a lot of the things you would expect, but their CK levels were much higher. And I think what might be happening, and this is just speculation, but... I think you, we change the muscle cell membrane and we make it more fluid because all these things, what they have in common is they're long chain lipid soluble things. And I think they modify and make the the lemma, the muscle cell membrane more fluid. So instead of considering all that CK release is automatically a, a highly damaged, even porous kind of cell membrane disrupted, maybe it's more fluid on some level, or there's difference in transporters or, you know, the way that the CK gets out. Um, David Neiman, who's a very famous exercise physiologist. He released a paper, uh, in 2014 with vitamin D and he, he was basically saying the same thing. I know everybody looks at this, the opposite. They want to see CK go down. Uh, we gave some vitamin D and it went up. Uh, so I think it's, it's one of those things I'm going to put in the things I can't explain category because that freaks me out. And like I said, I can, I can Pull half a dozen references on some of these supplements that are all considered beneficial to physique or recovery in some way. And again, the literature spotty, it's not one dimensional like this. Some things they'll say CK goes up, goes down. And there's probably a lot of individual differences, gen, even genetic differences. I know there are CK hyper responders, um, but how bizarre. So be careful when you read ads, that say that this or that supplement depressed uh, creatine kinase, because there are situations in the literature where that's not good like Priscilla Clarkson who's sort of the queen of this stuff she would immobilize limbs after they did eccentric training and because they weren't flushing out that you know sore muscle it that builds up yeah yeah they they didn't see the blood levels go up spike at 24 hours you know after the workout and that's considered a bad thing right and then the ones who did some active recovery or got you know whatever intervention they moved around more um so it's almost like a out with the old in with the new. It could be a good thing. You know almost like a muscle protein turnover uh analogy where maybe maybe it can be good. Or Joe Cannon, a very famous exercise immunologist, gosh 20 years ago in the early 90s, more than 20 years ago I guess. Uh he was suggesting that old guys when they lift, they don't dump creatine kinase as much as the young guys and when he gives them vitamin D, it restores that natural ability to spike your creatine kinase. Uh, 24 hours after you lift. So creatine kinase is another one of those things I can't explain. It's, it's so ubiquitous. It's used so often as a blood marker of recovery, but it doesn't fit very well with some of the others.
1: Yeah, so. so whenever I read studies or even if I have to do a peer review on them, I always look to see, did they measure some type of performance in addition to CK, right? Because you can see the classic studies where CK went up and it goes up in different amounts but it doesn't directly correlate with performance, right? It's not this nice, neat, linear response, as you were talking about, is what we kind of think that it is in our head, right? We think that massive amounts of CK, there'll be a drop in performance. It's massive, less CK, less damage, and they're related to each other, but they're not that direct, nice, neat, linear relationship.
0: Exactly. In fact, part of what sparked this was the data that – it's just a a small N study, but – that's exactly what we saw. we saw the yeah. CK looked like it went up more in the active treatment group than it did in the placebo group, and yet the active uh, vitamin E group, they did not lose uh, muscle power output you know in when they were uh, sore. you know so the, the placebo group is not dumping a lot of CK and their performance is sagging badly when their legs are rocked and we rocked them pretty good. We did five sets of five. Uh, with 80% loads in the squat. So it was enough that these guys definitely got sore, the placebo group, right? Got They got sore, their performance sagged, but they did not release as much CK. So again, maybe it's, hmm. you know, I, I think it might be an out with the old, in with the new thing. And when I see really famous researchers like Dave Neiman and Joe Cannon suggesting this in different ways, I'm like, well, maybe this is an interesting phenomenon we need to look at. But... Um, Another one, and I'll just want one more and then I'll turn things over to Mike, is uh, I have seen this repeatedly. Uh, I know of one other lab that I've had a great conversation with, um, but it looks like caffeine affects the upper body more than the lower body. Now, that's my personal observation in the lab. That is not what all of the scientific literature says. Uh, But… I think it could be in the kinds of exercise movements that we're testing, right? Because like if you look at wind gate data or vertical jump data, stuff that's more lower body, the research is very spotty whether or not caffeine helps or not. But when you look at explosive bench pressing, like is what I, I tend to look at, and I think I actually compared it uh, with, with uh, explosive squats, but the bench press seems to benefit much more and it, I don't know, it, it leads you to all these different kinds of ideas. Is it because you have more adrenoceptors, adrenaline receptors in your upper body? Is it something as simple as the bench press is more stabilized? So you don't have to worry about posture and, you know, um, that sort of thing. I, I'm not sure, uh, why that's happening. There's Lots of ways you could speculate, but this is something I have consistently seen, Yeah, like a 10 to 12% jump in speed work kinds of loads in the bench press, and maybe 3 or 4% with explosive leg work. So um, I don't know. It's something I can't explain. And like I said, when you turn to the literature, which is the smart thing to do, uh, you're going to see stuff all over the place. So there's not a lot of consensus with that. But th- like I said, it's something that I've seen and I can't. Explain. Does that mean that I wouldn't take any caffeine if I had to squat in a meet or something? No, I probably would. <laughs> but I, I, I think you're getting more bang for the buck in the upper body. A- again, I just – and it's not just me. I had a really interesting conversation with a guy last year at the ISSN meeting, and um, he's like, oh my god, we're finding exactly the same thing. What is going on? So at least some people are seeing it, and I wonder if it's a real phenomenon. That's all.
1: Yeah, and some of those I wonder, too, about the equipment testing you have to look at things, right? Because we know caffeine acts centrally. It acts, you know, all different aspects in the body. It's not just one particular area, which makes it fascinating and maddening at the same time. Um, But, like, if you're looking at a low skill, just change in speed or, like, using, like, a biodex or something where you're looking at, in essence, isokinetic or change in force – Most of that data is on lower body. There isn't too much of that on upper body either. So I sometimes wonder if you remove the skill component from it, you're maybe more limited by the number of studies that have been done using equipment in a specific area too.
0: Right. I actually had a reviewer uh, mention to me that, well, the bench press is every bit as complex as the squat. And I understand if, you know, from a nuanced perspective, I mean, Phil right. could talk for weeks on nuances of the bench press. I get that. But at the same time, like I said, especially with a Smith machine like we've been using, um, the movement is all, the purposely limited, right? Because right. the Smith machine, of course, the bar goes up and down the guides. You're going to have a little bit less nuances. You can't have one guy, you know elbows flare and in, bench into his chin, you know, and another guy, you know, depressing and retracting his scapula, like a power lifter, and pushing up, you know, you, you remove a lot of that stuff. I mean, you're supported. It's almost more of a, just a neuromuscular, uh, assessment as opposed to something that's a skill related. I would argue, uh, as a squat, whether stuff like postural control and there's, there's, there's more coordination of more assisting and stabilizing muscles and that sort of thing. Um, uh, but again, I get it that, you know, a bench isn't automatically a more simple lift, but still, I, I don't know. I, I see it work more in the bench. I just do. Oh, and you yeah. know what? I have, Let me throw in one last thing too, because this is, confuses the hell out of me. Antioxidants. Um, yeah. Antioxidant literature. Uh, I sort of grew up in fitness through the 80s and 90s, popping my vitamin C and E and even some other ones. Uh, there's a lot of plant chemicals, of course, uh, with antioxidant effects and uh, you'll see enhancement of certain you know it'll depress some of the markers of free radical damage and that sort of stuff but whether or not the outcome is what we want sometimes blows up in our face Uh, so I don't know antioxidants are something that's confusing as hell to me it's one of those things I think there's probably a sweet spot um, with, with suppressing some of those free radicals and some of them you want kicking up pretty well you know so I and again, it might even be, I think, in fact, I think it probably is, but substance-specific. Vitamin C isn't like vitamin E, isn't like, you know, the anthocyanins from blueberries, or, I mean, we can go down a gigantic list of, of botanicals, but.
1: Yeah, and most of the literature on that, at least the human data, and there's some very interesting mouse and rat data, too, is that. You know, whole foods in general, as much as I I hate to use that word to classify stuff, but people know what you mean. Like you said, you know, berries and vegetables and, you know, not refined down to one specific compound. Mm -hmm. In general, those still tend to show that they're beneficial, um, like high dose singular ones like C, possibly E, maybe a few other ones. Beta carotene. Yeah, Yeah, beta carotene. Yeah, not as much, but... I've often wondered if that literature will kind of play out similar to the way the NSAID literature does, right? So people take anti-inflammatories. while well, the early data showed, okay, yeah, it definitely depresses protein synthesis. They showed human studies that did that. And then the first study that was done in adults, kind of was older adults, was done by Dr. Trappi. He presented this at ACSM several years ago, I saw. And they found that it was mildly anabolic in older subjects. And at first, when we talked to him, he's like, we thought we screwed up the whole trial. You know, and they went back and they showed, you know, them videotaping them, taking, you know, the drugs and everything. And uh, another study came out and showed the same thing. So I often wonder if we miss some of the time course, you know. And if you're in the gym doing stuff like strength training, you're tearing down the muscle. If your body is very survival-based, it has to sort of upregulate those things at some point. You know, So I wonder if we look at it over a long enough period, if we find out that yeah, you know, it's not as detrimental as what we initially believe. But that's pure speculation at this point.
0: Yeah. We had Nick Bird on, and Nick's a really great yeah. guy. I've bumped into him many times up in Canada. and and But he suggests, right, that ibuprofen, although it might suppress muscle protein synthesis acutely, there's actually a rebound of a lot of those systems I, as soon as it's out of you – uh, and you actually get the reverse effect. So like you said, it's very time course um,
1: dependent probably.
0: Let's open it up though. Anything else, uh, Mike, about things you can't explain?
1: Oh, man. I could go on forever. But <laughs> just a couple that I think is probably more interesting to, to Lifter specifically. And I got this from uh, Dr. Andy Gelpin. I was talking to him out at uh, his lab. Uh, it was like about a month ago now. And we were talking about, he does a lot of really interesting uh, fiber-type research, some very fascinating stuff that's coming out. Um, we got on the topic of hyperplasia in humans. So As people know, hyperplasia is the increasing number of fibers, not just hypertrophy, which is the increase in size. And, you know, our buddy Jose Antonio has done a lot of the early studies on birds by putting a heavy weight on one of their wings. Yep. And then comparisons between the left side and the right side. And in a bird model, he definitely did show that hyperplasia happens. Um, The only data I've ever seen in humans so far was, I think, a study from pretty high-dose steroid users. Um, But anyway, Dr. Andy and I were talking, and we think that given the right circumstances, and depending on what you're looking, that hyperplasia probably does happen, although that's pure speculation at this point. Um, but he's doing some stuff to hopefully look at that over the next um, next couple of years.
0: Yeah, some of that early animal data. I think there's some data from OU, it might have been, in mm-hmm. cats. Uh, yeah,
1: there's some cat data. Yeah, too. Uh,
0: it does make you wonder. And, of course, there's the related issue. In fact, we had Jose Antonio on Iron Radio a couple of years ago talking about it, but – is satellite cell activation, you know, right. sort of sort of a related issue. Instead of splitting an adult muscle fiber essentially into two, you'll get these baby, you know, sort of stem cells donating their nucleus to the neighboring fiber, uh, and that allows it to increase in size because the nuclear domain is enhanced and all that kind of stuff. And so cool related stuff too. I This is not particularly scientific of me, but I've always considered if this kind of thing happens, it might be a one percent change, you know, annually or something. It's going to be something very slow. But then the fun thing is, you get somebody who's maybe, you know, forty-five years old, and yeah. it, it, they're permanently more muscular. I, I just think they ha- they permanently have more muscle mass. And I don't, Phil, if you're still with us, you could chime in on that if you think middle-aged guys are just more muscular regardless. But
2: well, yeah, I mean, I think that could be a small part of <laughs> I don't know what what people call old man strength. <laughs> you know, you see a difference in somebody. Well, even in the bodybuilding age, you can see the yeah. difference in between uh, now and 30 years ago in the thickness of people. Like, you can tell the balloon monsters versus the guys that took, that, that like literally ballooned up over a year and a half or two years.
0: Oh, right. Right.
2: Versus the guys that like it took them 25 years to get ready to be on stage at the Olympia. You know? Yeah. There's, there's a certain thickness and non. They don't look like they pulled up to a gas station and got aired up. Yeah, <laughs> right. That's right. But that's... Uh, yeah, I don't. Like you said, I mean, we don't know, but one can hope. <laughs> you
0: know? Yeah, and let's face it. Uh, I mean, just observationally, you see a lot of guys that the old lifters. It's not always very pretty. You know, they, their muscles might be a little saggy, but there's muscle mass there that's not going to atrophy down if to the point that had they never lifted. I just, yeah. yes. I really just don't yeah. think that. Yeah, But I digress. Okay, Dr. Nelson, what else you got?
1: Um, One other one I've been trying to look back into again lately is just sounds real basic, but just the effects of insulin, um, which I find just fascinating, right? So if you look at if you believe the body is survival based, which I would think is a pretty good argument, that there's tons of hormones that do the opposite of insulin from epi, norepi, drothormone, cortisol. You can go down the list. There's a bunch of them. But there really isn't anything that replaces insulin to the same effect. Maybe, I would argue, maybe leptin, but that's a completely different time course too, um, which leads me to believe that insulin is probably very important, which we've talked about before in the past. Um, but I'm beginning to think that a lot of the local changes we see at the muscle level, I was talking to Dr. Brian Walsh about this the other day too, I think they may be protective and maybe doing other things that we're not really understanding yet, right? Because if insulin's going out through the main bloodstream and we know that it has pretty dramatic effects, a lot of it probably has to be locally modified into to some degree, right? And we see this in, a, for example, a very low carbohydrate diet, right? The muscle itself will become more insulin resistant, in essence, not allowing as many carbohydrates to come in because it's trying to spare them for the brain. No, it's not really considered to be pathological per se, Um, but anyway, I'm just trying to figure out more on that because I think there's a lot of the sort of basic stuff on that that we probably don't understand yet.
0: No, sounds good. All right, what about you, Phil? I'm almost expecting something funny out of you about things you can't explain.
2: (laughs) 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 I couldn't think anything funny. The only thing I can come up with, one of the things that I can't explain, and I don't know anybody who can yet, like really dial it down is it's something that's frustrating for coaches like myself, the grinding lifter versus the explosive lifter. Mm. Yeah. It's definitely. You know, there's science out there as far as, you know, more type two, whatever, you know, and things like that. But I mean, I, I have to believe a lot of it comes down to even psychological stuff. Um, sure. Because I've seen people change over time and become, get to the point where they can grind more and things like that. So, but, I mean, it's it's something that you end up having to learn as a coach. Like, oh, okay, I know this guy is, you know, he's going to hit 700 deadlift. He's going to kill it. But I know he's only good for 710. If I give him 725, it's not even going to move. Yeah. You know, he's only he to kill, you know. Yeah. So And that's, it, it's one of those deals where I can't explain it. It's, you just have to learn it about your individual lifters. You know, what, what they can do. Because, I mean, I've had lifters where I expect that they could, oh, man, you just killed that. Let's jump 50 pounds and then they just get it doesn't it's not even an attempt right right but then i have others that like will will be going max day and okay 600 okay 620 okay and they just keep going and the bar like always moves the same speed for another (laughs) hundred yeah yeah that's i was at a meet like three years ago and there was this older guy he was in his 60s and he's warming up with 405 and it took like six seconds Wow! To get up. Like, oh man, yep. I was like, "What are you opening with?" Because I'm I'm gonna try and give him advice to like lower your opener, and he's like 600, and he was at 405. <laughs> I'm like, what? It went, went just as fast as 405, and I was like, "Oh my god!" What? hell? You know? wow. and he ends up at like 680, and I mean, he was like literally like a really slow crane, and you know, it's just <laughs> stuff like that. You can't you can't explain it, but yeah. No.
0: It's a good point about the psychology too. Like how much of this is somebody's individual like nervous system, neuromuscular stuff versus something that's more cognitive. I don't know. You know, some people just have the fortitude. They're just like a freight train, you know, and they just keep moving upward.
1: So Soft tissue and fascia and connective tissue and, the, you know. Stiff versus more elastic and all sorts right. of stuff. Right,
0: tendinous insertions. Yep. It, it, you know, a lot of this stuff, that's why you need experienced coaches. At this point, it's more of an art because it's e- either A, science Science will catch up eventually and try to break it down into its individual components. Or B, it's, it's so individual, you know, yeah. that there's so many variables. I don't know. It may never be, uh, you know, something where we can get principles that apply to yep. everyone. You know, it's. Just...
2: I can tell you just in my own gym that I've noticed, and just coaching around the world that generally people with longer limbs tend to be better at grinding things out. But then I've also had people, a few that, you know, kill that model, you know.
1: Yeah. So mm. and, and
2: go against that, but um, yeah. So it doesn't always work that way. But I mean, there's a large percentage of them that are that way. But
1: right. Yeah. Have um, you had someone doing? <laughs> Powerlifting, would you, all things being eco, would you try to get them to be more of a grinding type lifter?
2: Yeah, and a lot of that is the people that I think, like, they just don't know how to fight, like, things, oh, it's hard to stop. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. That's where I'm not a big proponent of, like, bands, but if I've got a newer lifter, oh, sure. That just doesn't know how to fight, I'll put them against band tension on the squat, and that way there is no. It, it takes away the. You know, the inertia, they have to fight through the whole lift every time.
0: Right, yeah.
2: It just doesn't get easy, and that has tended to help. Um, it just teaches them that the mental fortitude, to, okay, keep pushing. You can stand up. You just got to keep trying. You
0: yeah. Know? Well, on a related issue, do you, I know you say you try to make all of your lifters explosive. I, I'm assuming you do that even with the grinding guys.
2: Yeah, we're always trying to, that's just one thing that I preach is no matter what we're doing, You know, if we're only working at 70%, I'd rather see you hit, like, crush a set of five than, like, nonchalantly take a set of ten. You know? Okay, yeah. I want to see you push every single rep like it's with everything you got. Because just because I've noticed we get more out of the training. You know, I'd rather see you break up the sets, do more sets and and less reps and kill them. Um, Because for those sports, you know, it's just more, there's more carryover. Yep. Now, I wouldn't do that when I go with a marathon runner. Okay, now we're going to run a block really fast, and that's all we're going to do. You know, it <laughs> doesn't carry over well. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Definitely for my lifters in power sports. Yeah, I mean, at all times, we're trying to to kill the the main list, at least. Not so much our assistance work. but
0: Sure. Okay, well, we have gone over a bit, but that's good stuff. We have news, yeah, conversation. Yeah, I got the whole thing. Big announcement. Big announcement, yep. Yeah. Uh, one more time, Phil, what was the what was the web address again?
2: B a r b e l l o p e n B A R B E L L O P E com. Sweet. You can sign up today.
0: Uh, can I go look at that today? I haven't looked. Can I actually get online, and, or is that not till hey, Monday?
2: You can go up there, yep. Yeah. Oh, I mean, All right, I'm going to go look. My, my, I'm still doing a couple little tweaks to it, but uh, it's pretty much ready to go.
0: Sweet. All right, everyone. We will see you next time.
2: See you later, guys. Bye.
0: Uh, Lonnie's store if you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition then take a look at phil's hall of iron and if you want something about motivation or daily training Fortress's hall has what you're looking for there are some fun heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores we try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store and whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced you can take heart that you're not wasting your time The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, The stuff you you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org.